Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hey, it's a special day, and for a special day, I got something special for you. Because today, right now, at this very moment, you are not listening to the Stephen or Else podcast. Nope. This is my other podcast. Welcome to a very special edition of my other podcast. I'm your host, Stephen. And as you're sitting there listening to this and saying to yourself, what the crap? What's going on? Well, let me explain. This is a short week. So rather than give you a episode of the Stephen or Else podcast, I wanted to showcase for you an episode of my other podcast. What? What is my other podcast? Well, for those who don't know... Over on the Patreon, I put out two episodes every week from my other podcast. It's a podcast that's different than the Stephen or Else podcast. And this being a short week for me, because I do all my recording in my car at work, either on the day at the day job or the night job. And I've only got I only had three days this week to prepare for this episode. So I wanted to use this time to showcase my other podcast. And uh, so before we get into the actual episode, which is going to come up here pretty quick, let me just tell you what you're in for. So as I said, I record in my car at work. For the Stephen or Else podcast, it's in the parking lot of my day job, which is where I'm at right now. But at night on my night job, I record during break in the parking lot episodes for my other podcast. And they're short episodes. They're about 15 to 20 minutes long. And so I can typically crank out an episode or two every night that I work because my other podcast is something uh, slightly different than the Stephen or Else podcast. With the Stephen or Else podcast, I actually take some time and prepare I write down the things that I want to say. I make notes. I have somewhat of a structure. With my other podcast, I just, I go out to break and whatever the heck climbs into my brain just before I hit record, that's what I talk about. And I spend 15 to 20 minutes talking about it. We did four episodes where I just talked about movies from the 90s simply because somebody over on the Patreon asked me what my favorite 90s movie was. And I couldn't come up with one movie from the 90s that I liked. So I went through an entire list of movies from the 90s and I picked 20 of them that grabbed my attention. And then I spent four episodes talking about those 20 movies. Uh, I also do, through my other podcast, I do these episodes called Single Issue Episodes. I have this box in my mudroom that's just full of random comic books that at one time was being stored out at my parents' house. And my dad said, here, take this freaking box of comics. I don't want it anymore. 
And so it ended up just sitting in my mudroom and it ne I never took it up with the rest of my collection, which is probably good. They're all just strewn about in, in my attic. And frankly, uh, I'm afraid if I ever showed pictures of the state in which my comic book collection is in, I'm afraid that nerds from around the globe would descend upon me and cause me great physical pain. But let's not talk about that right now. So I got this box in my mudroom just full of random issues. They aren't sorted. They're not by any one publisher. They're not any particular run. They're just random books. And uh, every once in a while, I'll just reach into that box and grab out an issue. And then I take it to work with me. And I, I uh, spend my first break reading it. And then I spend my second break talking about it. There is no preparation done. It's all done off the top of my head. I try to go through the entire book page by page and talk about what I've just read. And uh, I even sometimes comment on the ads if, it, if it's a particular old, particularly old book. So now at this point, if you haven't actually switched off the podcast, uh, what you're probably asking is, well, wait a minute, Stephen. Uh, how do I get to listen to my other podcast twice a week? Well, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is join my Patreon. The link is in the show notes. And to join my Patreon, all I'm asking for is as little as a dollar a month. You can pledge more, but all I'm asking is a dollar a month. That's bare minimum. For $1 every month, you're going to get eight, up to eight episodes of my other podcast. Heck, you're going to get 10 if it's a five-week month, if the month happens to work out that way. But that's what you're going to get, and that's my sales pitch. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to showcase one of the episodes, and it's not an episode that even the members of the, of the Patreon have listened to yet. It's one that I've been recording over the past few days, past few nights over at the night job. And it's one that by the time I got through the book, I realized I can't you know, if I want to stick to my 15 to 20 minute episodes, I can't put this out on Patreon because this issue is a double issue, uh, double sized issue. It's a it's a it's a large issue. And so it took me a bit longer to get through the whole thing. So that's what we're doing. That's what makes this episode special. It's Thanksgiving, people. We're giving thanks. Give some thanks. You know, when you're not listening to the podcast until then, when you're done giving thanks, then listen to the show. I hope you enjoy it. I will be featuring more music by Adam Warrock on this episode uh, and between uh, the talk of the... But otherwise, the entire, it, the entire episode is going to be about this one issue, this one comic book. And uh, yeah, so here I am introducing the episode and I'll come back to you at the end. Of course, you'll also get me in between. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's freaking Thanksgiving. And I'm ready to eat some gosh darn turkey already. So let's listen to some Adam Warrock and then I'll start in with the issue. Happy Thanksgiving. Keep reality whole. You can 
call it a comeback or retro continuity Cause now that I'm rebooted ain't nothing you can do to me As long as fans keep listening I'm positioning Ready to battle villains in any local community So when you're feeling down and out in your day Just pump up the latest Adam Warrock tape Each beat bumps the thickest, each rhyme spit the sickest And ruckus is spinning records and scratching them with the quickness So back to business as demon knows terror reigns The villain thinks his victory is winning the game Cause in battles this is how the music doesn't pretend Cause the love hand is greater than the hate hand my friend So this time, this book that I wanted to talk about is a book from 19... Well, it says on the cover 1985. It says inside 1986. It's a, a Marvel book from... I'm going to go with what's inside. It's a Marvel book from 1986. It is X-Factor, issue number one, February 1986, and it sold for $1.25 back then. Uh, and I, I don't... I don't have any other books around me from that time, so I don't know what a normal issue sold for back in 86. But again, this is a double-sized issue, so it was $1.25. And let's just talk about the cover real quick. Right at the top, it says, Because you demanded it, the dramatic return of the original X-Men. X-Factor! And uh, it's this issue was actually approved by the Comics Code Authority, so that's good going into it. We're not going to see uh, anything that we shouldn't see. That our great folks at the Comics Code Authority, they have approved what is in this book. Because I don't, I don't want to see zombies. Now, the cover appears to be... Uh, it's the, the little scene that's being depicted on the cover is taking place inside of a cave. Uh, at the very bottom, it says, Baptism of Fire exclamation point and you've got cyclops practically front and center he's running with optic his optic blast shooting from his eyes he's got his new x-factor uniform on which is just a, a one-piece blue bodysuit with a uh, yellow gloves and yellow boots and a big yellow x that uh encompasses his shoulders all the way down to his thighs Behind him, you have Jean Grey. She is uh, shooting out what appears to be some kind of telekinetic blast from her head. She, too, is wearing a one-piece bodysuit with yellow gloves and yellow boots and a big yellow X that goes from her, her shoulders down to her hips. But the rest of her costume is green. And she's got a, a full face mask that covers everything but her nose and chin and then little eye slots for her eyes. But then she apparently has a uh, an opening in the back because you can see her red hair, red hair flowing out of the back of her mask. Above and behind her is the beast, Hank McCoy, the blue furry beast. This is the classic beast that I love. And he normally just wears blue trunks that are the exact same color as the rest of them. And he's hanging from a stalactite. Now, next to him, behind Jean Grey, is uh, Angel. He's further back than everyone else. He is wearing a red and white X-Factor suit. The X, the gloves, the boots are white. Everything else is red. 
His mask does not cover his entire face. It's cut open at the top, so his beautiful blonde hair is available for all to see. And then there's Iceman, Bobby Drake. He is, uh, he's just all iced up. He doesn't wear a costume. He's just, he's just Iceman. He's iced up. And then in the, in the foreground, in the corner, there are flames, which leads credence to the title, Baptism of Fire. So let's open it up and see what we got. So inside cover is an ad for uh, three new star comic sensations. And at the top it says lions and tigers and bears. And then you've got uh, a woman, a girl in the middle of the, the ad uh, who is dressed like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, but she's got blonde hair and she's going, oh my. So it says lions and lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Um, so what we got here are Thundercats, Care Bears, and her name is Misty. Say hello to three new star comic sensations, the Savage Thundercats, the Cuddly Care Bears, and Misty, the soap opera superstar who's setting the world on fire. Yeah, those look fun. All right, so page one. We'll get to the credits, which are at the bottom of the page. We'll get to them when we get to them. So uh, the, the first caption box says that we are somewhere near Anchorage, Alaska. And you see some mountains in the background. And you've got Scott Summers front and center. He's in his civilian clothes. And he's shooting an optic blast from his eyes. He's holding his ruby quartz glasses onto his forehead because that's what keeps the optic beams in. And he's using this to split wood. And... Uh, Behind him is his wife, Madeline, and she is holding uh, their baby. And she's uh, she's basically, you know, hey, good job there, Big Scott. You're showing those logs who's boss. And he asks Scott if he would come inside and watch the baby because she's got to go run a few errands. And, of course, he says sure. And then we get down to the bottom. Stanley presents Third Genesis. Bob Layton is the writer, Jackson Geis on pencils. Bob Layton, Jackson Geis, and Joseph Rubenstein, or Rubenstein, inked this sucker and had needed three people because it was a double-sized issue. We also needed three people of color, this sucker. Petrus Scotiz, Max Scheel, and Glennis Oliver colored this thing. And we needed two editors, Mike Carlin and Michael Higgins. Because it's a double page, double page, double sized issue. And you know, it doesn't make note of that on the front. It doesn't tell anybody, hey, by the way, this is a double sized issue. So you know it's awesome. It doesn't, it doesn't hype it up at all. And then, of course, this is uh, when Big Jim Shooter was the editor in chief. So we turn the page, page two. We're now inside. Scott is putting the wood down. Maddie realizes that the baby needs changing. And asks Scott if he would go get a diaper. And Scott says, no problem. But there's something on the television. It's an op-ed. Mutant, myth, or menace. And the fella on TV is talking about proposed legislation. Which would call for the mandatory registration of all known mutants. Making it necessary for them to report their whereabouts annually. And Scott's not having any of that. That makes him mad. Why does it make him mad? Well, because Scott's a mutant. And if you didn't know that, that's what the X-Books are all about. He's a mutant. But as he's watching this, he's completely ignoring the fact that he was supposed to go get a diaper for Maddie. So when Maddie notices that he's not moved, Scott Summers, she's, she's mad. I mean, when she says his name, it's in bold 
and there's an exclamation point next to it. So you know she's angry. And uh, she's basically given him a lot of flack because, you know what? His whole life up until now has been about the mutants and the mutant problem and helping mutants. And she's basically telling him she's had enough. He's married. He's got a kid. His responsibilities are at home and she's tired of it. It's just a simple thing that she asked for. Please get me a diaper. And he didn't go do it. And she's about had enough. And I have to tell you, I might be on Maddie's side here. He is married. He does have a kid. He has responsibilities. He's a man. And he's got to be a man about this stuff. And yes, we understand his history with the mutants and his people and all that. But you know what? If you make a commitment to get married and have a child, you need to be there for them. Now, you could say, on the other hand, Maddie knew what she was getting into when she got married. And she did. She she did. She makes comment that she uh, she knows, she understands. And, you know, she's reminded every day that she looks like his old flame, Jean Grey, who is uh, not alive. She's dead. Um. So yeah, they have a little fight, a little fight in the living room, and then they go to page three. It's now nighttime. Maddie is waking up in bed alone, and she goes, oh no, in her mind. She says, oh no, not again. And she goes outside, and there's Scotty's on the balcony, and he's in a, a, a white tank top and pajama bottoms that are white with red stripes. They're very, very nice looking, very becoming of Scott. He's leaning on the balcony, and he's looking out, in the cold air and she apologizes for snapping at him earlier uh he says he understands he doesn't apologize back he could have said yeah i get it hon i understand you don't have to apologize to me i but i apologize to you because you know i should have gotten the diaper but i didn't um but as they're standing out there she uh you know she's she's laying it out for him she says you know she's tried to overlook a lot of things She's tried to be understanding, even when he wasn't there for the birth of their baby. Now, I don't know what was going on at the time. I'm sure there was some big superhero thing going on, uh, but not cool, Scott. Not cool at all. And uh, that who knows where he was at that time? Maybe he was off planet. Secret Wars. I don't know. She says she's even tried to deal with the fact that she resembles his dead lover. It's not an easy thing for somebody to live with. And then she just says, it's Jean, isn't it? You're thinking about her right now, aren't you? To which Scott says, yes. <laughs> he could have said, no, baby, no. I'm not talking. I'm not thinking. I'm just thinking, you know, it's just this life. Responsibilities. I'm trying to get my head right. But he just says, yes. Of course, that upsets her and she leaves. And he's just standing there looking at the wall and he's making a fist. Because he's, he's, he's brooding. Okay, page four is a two-panel page. And it opens up with the top panel, which takes up about two-thirds of the page. It's the next morning, high above the Rocky Mountains of New Mexico. One of the wealthiest men in the world flies... Dot, dot, dot. And then in bold letters, under his own power! With an exclamation point. And it is, it is, of course, Warren Worthington III. It says here that he is an entrepreneur, a socialite, 
and the object of more than one woman's desires. Ooh la la, Mr. Worthington. This is, uh, this is of course Angel. And of course he's flying under his own power. He's got frickin' wings. How else is he gonna fly without wings? I don't know, but he's, he's naked, except for just a small pair of boxers. And he's flying above his palatial estate, his giant mansion, which hangs off the edge of a mountain face. And uh, in the second panel, we see Beast, Hank McCoy, a.k.a. The Beast, and Bobby Drake, a.k.a. The Iceman. And they're coming down a set of stairs. Each of them are holding luggage. So let me try to describe this. Bobby Drake is the second one coming down the stairs. And he's holding one, two, three, four, five suitcases. And uh, in front of him is the Beast, who's holding one, two, three, four bags. But the Beast, of course, in his fashion, in the way Hank only Hank McCoy could do, he's coming down the steps on his hands. He's actually bounding down the steps on his hands. He He's taken two bounces, and he's almost to the bottom of the steps. So, and he's only doing it on one hand. He's got the luggage perched precariously on his back and his butt. He's holding them in place with his legs. And on the other hand, he's reading a book because, of course, he's, he's, he's holding the book and he's reading it. That's what Hank McCoy does, acrobatics while reading. And they have been a, they have been uh, parking it at Warren's house, chilling with Warren they were all three together in the Defenders, which I guess has failed, or at least their part in the in the superhero team has failed. And uh, so, yeah, they're apparently they're le- they are leaving. That's why they have all this luggage. The next page is an ad for Nestle Quick and a contest. Win a complete set of GoBot toys, announcing the Nestle Quick Challenge of the GoBots game. 250,000 prices. Not prices. Why did I say prices? Prizes with a Z. So, uh, yeah, if you played this game back in 1986, the second prize was a GoBot action figure. The first prize was a GoBot messenger vehicle, whatever that was. But the grand prize was a complete set of GoBot toys. That's, that's, that's something, isn't it? Put your hands up like this for all the vigilantes in the streets. Take- 
Page five, uh, Bobby uh, apparently is tired of carrying his luggage down the steps and he's angry. <laughs> he actually says, and if you're not going to help with these bags to Hank, as if Hank, I guess, you know, granted, Hank's only got five bags to, or four bags to Bobby's five. If Hank was carrying them as a normal person would, maybe he could take one or two more. Uh, but in his anger, Bobby creates a ice slide right down the steps. Hank leaps into the air, dropping all of his suitcases. Hey, Frostbite, watch out! Of all the cretinous displays, is your braid on ice, Drake? And so he's getting on to Bobby because Warren has just, he just had the house refurbished. And Bobby has laid down, you know, a couple of tons of ice on his steps. And Bobby, by in the second panel, is he's defending himself by saying that Warren is just pretty much made of money. And as someone who is made of money, he's probably looking, even though he just got done refurbishing the joint, he's probably looking forward to doing it all over again. And so Bobby has done him a favor. So they go outside to the pool. Under, it says in, in the caption box, outside by the pool amidst the din of current reconstruction, because, you know, Hank had said that he just had the abode refurbished. They're out at the pool. There's a, there's a guy out there hammering on something on a sawhorse and a couple of guys up on some scaffolding. And Hank, I should mention, is wearing a what, what looks to be a white polo shirt with uh, khaki shorts. Pretty suave. And there's a girl in the pool, uh, a Candy Southern, who apparently uh, is Warren's lady friend. And uh, there, Hank jumps up onto the diving board and he's talking to her. And Warren swoops down and, and snatches her up from under her arms. And, and oh, you silly boy, she says to him. Oh, Warren, you silly boy. Ha ha ha. So, yeah, that happened. Uh, the next page is another ad. And it also features GoBots. Challenge of the GoBots. They're awesome. Check local TV listings for time and station. So this is the GoBots cartoon, and just based on this ad, it looks horrible. I don't remember ever watching it. Was not a GoBots guy. Page six, uh, Warren ha is just floating there, flapping his wings, and uh, he's holding Candy by the arm. I have to assume that that's got to hurt her shoulder. I'm surprised her arm hasn't popped out of its socket. And they're talking. They're, uh, you know, Warren or, or uh, Hank and Bobby are feeling kind of bad because, you know, it's, you know, the Defenders thing didn't work out. They're, they're looking about going out there and just doing normal things as like normal people would. And uh, Warren is kind of like, you guys need to cheer up. Okay. You know, we tried the superhero thing. It didn't work. Let's uh, let's just try to try to have a good time and be good people. And as they're talking about it, do you you then uh, meanwhile, as the debate goes on, we're we're now up with the construction workers who are who are watching. And of course, one of them doesn't like mutants, and he says, "Yeah, yeah, sure, the pay is good, but it still don't. But I still don't like working for the muty freaks." And one of the construction workers is checking out Candy. I wonder what muty power she has. 
And the third one says, obviously, the power to make construction workers breathe funny. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. That's funny. That's funny. Construction workers are funny. And the guy who hates mutants is uh, not paying attention. And hey, did you get a look at her? And uh, he cuts through the scaffolding's ropes with his saw. Careful with that saw. And then they just go falling. Page seven. Warren is man is the man of action, dumps candy into the pool. He shouts out orders, Bobby, clear those men off of there. I'll get that guy going over the edge. And uh, yeah, so the guy is falling over the edge. Warren catches him. Hank catches, he leaps off of the, the diving board, catches the other man, tosses, tosses him over to Bobby, who has created an ice bridge over the pool. And they all fall into the pool. Look out below! turning the page now this is one of the action sequences of this episode where i turn the page okay page eight uh warren all warren has come back with the guy that he has saved and they're all safe and uh minutes later he's got them he's got a towel wrapped around one of the guys and he's warren's telling them okay i want you men to know that i'm raising your hourly rage your hourly rage. Your hourly rage. Okay, I want you men to know that I'm raising your hourly wage to time and a half for the duration. And that funny construction worker, you know the one that was really funny? He says, heck, for that, we'll fall off the house every hour on the hour. Oh, you gosh. That guy, I bet he's a hoot. I don't think that'll be necessary, men. Warren says, let's get back to it, eh? And so, yeah, they uh, see the page ends with Hank and Bobby putting their suitcases in the back of the car and Warren and Candy see them off. It's very sad. Page nine, Warren and Candy go into the house and uh, Warren realizes, oh, Hank forgot one of his bags. And just like any good friend, opens it up. I'm assuming he does. It doesn't look like it's closed. I mean, I guess, because basically the whole point is he sees a picture, a framed uh, photo of all of them, the original X-Men back in the original X-Men days. I don't know, maybe it's sticking out of the bag. I would like to think he didn't just unzip the bag and start going through it. That would be rude. Phone rings. Candy answers it. It's Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. It sounds urgent. Warren takes the phone. Hello, Dr. Richards. And suddenly, what? That can't be. Sure, sure, I'm on my way. And he grabs a pair of pants and flies out of the room and leaving poor Candy there alone. And she says, hey, you're not going to leave me alone with the house full of construction workers, are you? And then her thought bubble says, hmm, on second thought. So I don't think that was appropriate, but it happened. The next page is an ad for a couple of cartoons. The Jetsons, every weekday, the family that made the space age fun is back with more. And then uh, every Sunday morning is Galtar and the Golden Lance. I re- I kind of remember this dude. I don't remember watching it too much. He was a blonde dude with two swords that the hilts connected to make a lance. And he had a green horse, which looked kind of weird with big horns. Eh. Come along for fantasy and fun. 
check your local TV listings for time and station in your area. Page 10, we go to the San Diego, San Diego Naval Yard. The medical frigate USS Essex docks after months of duty at sea. And so uh, there's a couple of sailors up there. One of them is talking. One of them's a kid, and he's talking to uh, Chief Fisher. And the chief says, hey, uh, what say we get out of here and have some fun? I want to be knee-deep in misdemeanors by midnight. So he's, you know, he's a good uh, influence there. He's, you know, lead by example. Uh, his his little buddy here, his sailor, uh, sure, chief. Uh, and so then we get to uh, later on the Washington Street Strip. I, I read that completely wrong. Later, comma. On the Washington Street Strip, the sailors enter the Triple X Bar. That sounds like a fun place. And uh, the chief says to this other sailor, whose name apparently based on this word bubble is Rusty. Hey, Rusty, you see the broad on dem tassels? I don't even know what that means. And uh, a few drinks later, hey, kid, I want you to meet an old friend of mine. Emma Laporte. Enchanted, I'm sure. Uh, Pleased to meet you, miss. Rusty doesn't seem excited to meet the girl that the chief has brought over to her. Page 11, however, she's all over him. She thinks he's adorable. And he is stammering. He's had too much to drink. And uh, the chief the chief thinks maybe the two should go out and get a little night air. So she takes him outside. Rusty's not, yeah, I'm not so sure about this, miss. Uh, and the, the chief says, oh, go ahead, kid, and that's an order. So she takes him outside. They're out in the alley, and she starts kissing him. And he's kind of freaking out. He's a little drunk. He's a little tipsy. He's apparently never done anything like this before. And he reacts like any young man in this situation reacts. You know, he, he, he reacts the same way any young man in this situation would react. He bursts into flames. And she reels back from him, of course, she is on fire, and at this this panel at the bottom of page 11, as she's saying, arg, her face is covered in flames. Her face is engulfed in flames. Page 12, Rusty, who's still on fire, is watching horrified as she burns, and then he runs, screaming, make it stop, somebody, please. And he runs across the street, and people are, hey, look at that, will you? Help, fire, somebody, please help me. And uh, we go on the same page straight from there to uh, the uh, the airport, JFK. Four and a half hours after receiving Reed Richards' mysterious phone call, Warren Worthington's sleek, custom-built Concorde touches down at New York's JFK airport. And uh, so here, I don't understand this part either. Warren comes running into the airport, and he, he had been dressed— when he left the house, he had just grabbed a pair of pants. Apparently, he uh, I guess there was he had asked Candy to call somebody. I don't know. He had some clothes on the plane. But he needs to get somewhere fast. And in order to do that, he has to take his clothes off. He only takes his shirt and tie off, though. Um, and uh, there's this uh, couple in the, in the panel. Oh, my heaven. A winged man. I feel faint, Theotis. Help. And she's falling backwards and he says, don't fall on me, woman. And of course, somebody yells out, hey, it's one of them mutie freaks. 
because, you know, people are wonderful. Page 13, Warren is flying through the the airport. Um, people are freaking out. Hold on, come on, dear, we're taking a bus. And uh, Reed Richards sees him and says, Angel over here. And people are really just getting upset. And so before they can go, Reed has to make himself into a shield as people are throwing things at Warren and calling him a stinking mutie and telling him to get his butt out of here. And he's a freak. And so at the end of page 13, Reed says, I have transportation on the roof terminal. Bleh. I have transportation on the roof of the terminal, Angel. You can follow me back to Avengers Mansion. And we'll stop there. We'll listen to another song by Adam Warrock. And then we'll come back with more from X Factor number one. I don't really care what you think I am Nerd and geek, part of the master plan Cause I could be reciting green eggs and ham I'd probably still make you dance, Sam, I am It's the sickest to do it with the cultural influences Doing away with all the negative-looking lyricists The OCD MC like you knew it is Making sure the angles are never incongruous with us Sap our fam like Ric Flair's of sincere Had a good year last year, but this year I'ma do me, so you do you Rock the mic and make the crowd go I'm on that other shit Oh, with another album and you're loving it Kick, punch, it's all in the mind Gonna have some fun tonight Nerds don't dance, all they do is this All they do is this All they do is this Come on, come on Nerds don't dance, all they do is this All they do is this All they do is this Come on, come on Friendly neighborhood 20 minutes later On the front lawn of the Avengers Mansion on the top of page 14, Reed is landing that really weird-looking fantastic car on the front lawn of the Avengers Mansion. Angel, of course, is just flying, and he's just, you know, he's wearing pants, no shirt. I, you know, I don't know what I was thinking when I was kind of laughing about the fact that he had to take his shirt off uh, earlier when he, you know, he's trying to get through the terminal. But, yeah, it's so he can fly with his wings. I guess I just assumed that... A rich dude like the like Warren Worthington, all of his clothes would have slits in the back of the shirts for his wings to go through. I guess you know maybe that's just something that rich fellas don't think about. So they are inside now, Avengers Mansion, and Reed is taking Angel somewhere. Where is she, Reed? Angel's asking, and uh, Reed's trying to get him to calm down, and we still have no idea what's going on. But then Reed mentions she's been going through an incredible ordeal. Although she seems to be in good spirits, Jean is going to need some time. What? That can't be Jean Grey, even though she's on the front cover. I mean, she died, didn't she? Even though she's on the front cover. So we're not, you know, unless people looked at the front cover and thought, well, that's not Jean Grey. That's maybe Madeline Pryor, whatever her name is. No, yeah, she's on the front cover. The uh, the final panel of page 14 is outside that San Diego bar. And Rusty has been captured by uh, naval personnel. And they're all in fire suits to keep from being burnt. And uh, they're putting Rusty into a truck. And uh, they start saying a word. One word ominously whispered. It is a word that Rusty Collins had never heard until today. Mutant, someone says. Beauty scum, I hope they hang ya. 
Apparently, if you're not a fan of the mutants, you you don't know what the letter th, the letters th are, because everybody says duh, day and duh and dat. But uh, I find it a little weird, I guess, that Rusty has never heard the word mutant before. Today, I, I mean, I thought that was a big thing in these books, you know, the whole mutant menace. But I, I guess not. Maybe I'm just, you know, just thinking back. I don't know. Page 15 has uh, the chief on in the first panel and the other sailors are holding him back because he's going to kill. He wants to kill Rusty. And he's using a lot of D words um, like, uh, you ain't going to get away with this, freak. I'm going to get you. I swear it. And so they put uh, Rusty in the van. Then we're back at the Avengers Mansion. It's four o'clock in the morning. Actually, no, we're not at the Avengers Mansion. It's uh, a suite in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel because for Warren Worthington III, it's only the best. And he's sitting at a table, or he's sitting on a table, and he's got his angel costume on, and he's he doesn't know what to do. Jean is alive. She wants to see Scott. He doesn't want to call Scott because he knows if he calls Scott, Scott's going to drop everything and and come to New York. But he's worried about what that will do to his marriage because, frankly, Warren Worthington III is a real friend. And so he spends the entire night thinking about what to do. So they show one panel. Uh, there's four panels across the bottom of this page. One is a, a view of the desk that he's looking down on. There is a clock that says it's 4.02 in the morning and there's a phone. And then there's the second panel is him sitting on the table, looking at the phone, his chin resting on his fist as he thinks. The third panel is the same as the first one. Same clock, same phone. There's now daylight shining onto the, the phone and the clock. The, not, the clock says nine o'clock. So we're looking at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Five hours later, fourth panel, Angel is in the exact same. He's been sitting there for five hours with his chin resting on his hand, contemplating what to do. And what does he do? Well, page 16 opens up with, at that moment in Alaska, the phone is ringing. Scott and Maddie are doing the dishes. Scott's drying. Maddie is washing. The phone rings. She asks Scott to get it because her hands are wet. He says, sure. He answers, it's it's Warren. And suddenly, oh, how can that be? It's impossible. How? Yes, yes, I'll be there. Uh, bye. And he hangs up and he tells Maddie that he needs to meet Warren in New York. And she says, well, you tell him you can't make it. He says, I can't do that, Maddie. And she says, Scott Summers, if you walk out that door, don't bother coming back. And he says, I'm sorry, Maddie. I have to go. And uh, the last page, the last panel of the page is Maddie crying. Scott's not there. Scott's coming off like a real jerk in this book, I have to say. I understand the whole history, Gene and Scott. And he thought she was dead. And he moved on and he got married. But you know what? Married, child, responsibilities. And he just walks out on her. Page 17, we're back at the uh, Waldorf Astoria. It's 12 hours later. Scott Summers arrives. 
He uh, gets off the elevator and there is armed guards there to meet him. Security that Warren has uh, hired. And so by page 18, Scott is in the room with Jean Grey. Oh my God, he thinks to himself, it is Jean. Turn the page. If I can, these old books, the pages are hard to turn. So here we're at page 19. Gene rushes into his arms. And, you know, it's one of those scenes. Oh, I can't believe it's really you. Scott says, of course, it's me, handsome. Who else loves you this much? She's trying to kiss him. He's trying his best not to let her kiss him. And Angel comes in to interrupt them. And uh, then she tells him the story of why she is still alive. And this takes... This takes the place of a couple of this takes over uh, a couple of pages. They tell the story of Jean Grey um, saving them when their ship went down. Uh, the shuttle crashed into the sank to the bottom of Jamaica Bay. She was the only one that could pilot it to help them escape. And so they all thought she died. And then out she comes as the Phoenix. And she's been fighting with them. You know, alongside them as the Phoenix. She turned to the Dark Phoenix, blah, blah, blah. Dark Phoenix dies. Well, we find out that the whole time that the Phoenix was not actually Jean Grey. It was some alien creature. And Jean Grey had been in a cocoon at the bottom of the ocean. So we all we find this out by the end of uh, issue number 21. The Avengers apparently found this cocoon. Reed Richards checked it out, opened it up. Jean Grey. So, by page 22, they're talking about, you know, what's going on? Catch me up. What's going on in the world? All this mutant stuff. It's getting kind of crazy. We have to do something. Um, we have to do something to protect our own kind. What's going on with, with the X-Men? Uh, what's going on with Professor Xavier? I heard he wasn't in charge anymore. Somebody said that Magneto was in charge. What the crap is that all about? He's our biggest enemy and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so that's what's going on on page 22. I mean, yeah, Jean Grey, that poor woman, she's been in a cocoon all this time. She gets out and she finds out that uh, Professor X is gone and uh, their most bitter enemy, Magneto, is running the X-Men. What's going on with that? And uh, guess what? Her, the love of her life, Scott Summers, is married. Oh, but she doesn't know that. You know why? Freaking Scott doesn't tell her. But uh, she wants them to do something to help the mutants. Angel says, pass. You know, he's giving up the hero biz. Tired of the whole good guy, bad guy routine. She's really upset about that. She, you know, she looks to Scott and Scott's like, eh, well, I think, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he tried to take over as leader of the X-Men. That didn't work out, you know, and and she's really upset about that. You know, you tried to work with Magneto, the man who was trying to kill us at every turn when we were growing up. And by the end of page 23, she's used her telekinetic powers to blow a hole in the wall that leads outside and she takes off. Um, Scott wants to go after her. Angel doesn't want Scott to go after her, you know. So Angel goes after her. He actually sends... Uh, well, he goes after her and he finds her. 
So at the top of page 26, Angel finds Jean. She's she's out on the streets. She's upset. And he, uh, although just moments before he says, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not doing this hero thing anymore. He says, you know what? Now that I've thought about it, now that I've taken a few minutes to give it some good thought, uh, I think you're right. And uh, he has an idea. Same page, next panel, two weeks later in the dean's office of Boston's Boston's Harvard Medical School. Hank McCoy is sitting there in a chair in a very lovely purple suit. Uh, and the dean calls him into the office. He uh, is at a job interview. And basically the dean tells him, you know what? Uh, yeah, I can't hire you because you're a mutant. Uh, the rest of the staff is really upset about it and they've threatened to quit. And Hank says, Hank's basically like, well, you know what? Up yours, up your nose with a rubber hose. He doesn't say that, but he strips his suit off. He leaps out the Dean's window. Dean's only on the first floor and leaps onto a tree, leaps over a statue. And, uh, someone is standing there. Hank McCoy, may I have a word with you? And, uh, Hank's, you know, well, I don't, you know, unless you got, unless you're offering me work, bucko. And the guy says, Warren Worthington sent me. So Hank, of course, that's all you got to say, man. Warren Worthington, lead the way. And then we go to Iceman, who is uh, working at the accounting firm of Harris, Anderson, and Brown. Uh, he doesn't seem to be all that happy there. He gets a phone call and, uh, as he's talking on the phone, there's these two guys at the water cooler who's talking about mutants, the mutant problem. And one guy is saying that it's a whole fabrication. It's not, the mutants aren't even real. And whatever is happening on the phone, uh, Bobby is, is with it. Tell Warren I'll be there right away. And he runs by the two dudes at the water cooler and he's now as Iceman. Yahoo, he says, the Iceman cometh again. And he turns the water cooler into ice. Next page, page 27. We're on Manhattan's lower east side. A sleek prototype helicopter makes its descent onto a choice piece of waterfront property. And uh, in this helicopter, uh, let's see, is Hank McCoy. And they, and uh, I guess Bobby Drake... And they go inside this place, and it's this huge place. And there's Warren uh, wearing a cape to hide his wings. Not sure why he's doing that inside this building. Uh, they don't really tell us. Um, but this is where Hank and Bobby find out that um, Gene's back. And, of course, they are just over the moon about it. And so she goes into, you know, of course, they explain how she came back. They want to know where Scott is and uh, Hank and Bobby, you know, well, you know, Scott's, you know, nah, nah, nah. they don't really explain it, you know, in front of Gene, but they know what's going on. So Hank and Bobby go to get Scott. Scott is sitting on, standing on a dock, Jamaica Bay, the site of Gene Gray's death and the birth of the Phoenix. The place where Scott Summers woes began and Scott looks like crap. His hair's a mess. He hasn't shaved in days. You know, it's been two weeks. Apparently, Scott has done nothing in two weeks, but he's only got like a five o'clock shadow. So I guess he just started being a bum 
maybe 24 hours ago. So uh, Hank and Bobby convinced Scott to come back with them. It's a very long heart-to-heart -heart talk that takes up a whole page. And they go back to uh, this, this uh, big building that Warren owns. And uh, he's basically telling them that he's got this plan. And he introduces them to a friend named Cameron Hodge. He's going to be the public relations representative for the project. Um, he was an old college roommate of Warren's. And uh, starting on page 31, Cameron tells them what's what they're going to be doing. So they are going to pose as mutant hunters, basically. A mutant deterrent agency called X-Factor. And they are going... They, they are going to put out commercials that tell people, you know, basically, do you think your neighbor is a mutant? Give us a call and we'll come investigate. And they will make money off of this. And uh, of course, the rest of them are not, they're, they're kind of leery about this. They don't, they don't like the idea of posing as a mutant deterrent agency. But the whole thing is, they will get a call, they'll go and investigate. And if it's somebody they need to help, then they will help them. But they'll do it under the guise of uh, this, you know, of the bad guys, basically, when it comes to mutants. And uh, so they're not too happy about it. And they ask, you know, how long before these spots begin to air? And Cameron says, well, actually, Mr. Summers, they have already been airing for several days now. Then we go from there to the prison where Rusty is being held. And the chief has bribed some of the guards to... Uh, uh, leave him alone with Rusty so he can shoot him in the head. But Rusty, of course, freaks out, catches on fire. The uh, chief's hand catches on fire. And uh, there's an explosion. Rusty causes an explosion that blows a hole in the side of the prison. And Rusty takes off. They, He's just, man, he's just throwing it down. Their helicopters are exploding. Cars are exploding. There's a freaking guard tower in the distance that's exploding and uh it it literally goes okay the last panel of this scene where he's just destroying everything within three minutes half the base is a smoldering ruin and rusty is on the loose the next panel and a few hours later at a local pub here comes the chief walking into this pub with his hand bandaged up and he's thinking to himself if day captured the kid he's gonna spill the beans about what I tried to do. I gotta think of something. Well, the guy who runs the pub sees him come in and he goes, hey, have you seen this ad on the tube? Maybe they could handle that kid Oh, yours. So he can say that kid, but he can't say this ad or the tube. I don't know. So there's an ad on the TV. There's a commercial playing for X Factor. So Chief gives him a call. So they get their first case and they all load up on this plane and they have their kind of their civilian X-Factor uniforms on. So they've got basically two costumes. They've got these blue jumpsuits uh, that they all wear to be as members of the mutant deterrent agency X-Factor. And then they've got their, their regular X-Factor superhero costumes. And so, yeah, they go and they talk to the chief. The chief explains to him about uh, Rusty. And so they go after Rusty, but they go after him as in their superhero guys. So, of course, uh, Rusty thinks that they're there to hurt him. 
So they all start fighting. Rusty runs into a cave. They chase him into this cave. This is where we get the cover. Rusty is on fire, like always, and they fight him for a bit. But in the end, they, you know, they save the day. Rusty actually explodes, causing the cave to fall on them all. But Jean uses her telekinesis to uh, to hold back all the rocks so they're in this bubble. And uh, Scott uses his optic beam to blast the way out. And so they, uh, <clears throat> they wrap Rusty up in asbestos because... That's what you do with somebody who is on fire. And uh, they go back and they show the chief, look, we caught him, mission accomplished. And then they give him the bill, $42,000. And the chief's like, whoa, no way. That's There's no way I can do this. So this is the old Ghostbusters ploy. If you remember in Ghostbusters, they go in, they capture the ghost in the hotel and they tell the guy at the hotel how much it's going to cost. And that much? I didn't I didn't know it would be that much. I'm not going to pay. And they said, well, well, we can put it right back in there. And, of course, the guy pays. And this is the same thing. It's like, uh, you know, there's no way. That's two years. That's two years pay. Well, I suppose we could put the mutant back where we found him. No, no, I'll, I'll pay. And uh, so, yeah, they're, they're back on their plane. They're heading back to uh, New York. And they let Rusty out and they, you know, they tell him, you know what? You're with friends here, bud. And we're going to help you. And they all decide, you know what? This worked out really well. But then we leave the very last three panels. That same night in Anchorage, Alaska, 3.30 a.m. And there's Maddie sitting on the couch. And she's watching a commercial for X Factor. And she looks very sad. Next issue, bring me the head of Hank McCoy. So this was this was actually, you know, as much as I made jokes about it throughout as I was going through it, it was an enjoyable issue. I liked the idea of them posing as mutant hunters to bring in mutants. I really liked that. What I didn't like in the whole issue is they do spend some time during the battle scene. Scott keeps saying stuff like, they never would have escaped that cave-in had I not been here. They never would have been able to take this guy on had I not been here. I am the reason, you know, because they needed my leadership skills. Basically, they're trying really hard to make us forgive Scott for just walking out on his wife and kid. But you know what, Scott? You're a jerk. You're a jerk. You walked out on your wife and kid. Granted, it was for the woman you love that you, you know, you may... But, you know, there's there's different ways to handle that. You don't just walk out on there. There's better ways to do that, buddy, and you did it the wrong way. So that was X Factor number one. That was, uh, it was, like I said, it was really enjoyable. The art's fun. The art was very classic, classic Marvel style, which I enjoy. If you're, you know, if you read any books from this time period, most of them are going to look almost the same. There's the, just that classic style that's really good. Of course, you know, you they're not exactly the same. You can pick out who's who's drawing what, but... Um, yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun random issue that I pulled out of that box. Not at all random. I actually pulled out X Factor number five first and I thought, I don't want to start in the middle of the X Factor run. So I, I pulled out a second book and it was X Factor one. I said, all right, that's what I'll do.
Yeah, maybe this beat will make me feel better. Maybe I can write it out in the form of a letter. Sign it to the internet a couple of times a month. Sell some t-shirts to try to make some cheddar. But I know that this business is so shady. Industry rule 4081, nothing is promised. All I can do is work hard and be honest with the music that I want to do and try my best. Yeah, uh, it's like I threw away my future. They say I might break big with the right producer. But everything I like to touch is like Midas Medusa and these Thank you for listening to this episode. I know it was a bit different than what you're used to. Not real different. I mean, really, the Stephen or Else podcast is a show where I talk about comics, and you just heard an entire episode where I talked about one particular book. And I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed it enough that you're rushing out to Patreon right now and, and signing up $1 a month. One singly little bitty buckadoo is all you need to get those episodes each and every week. You're going to get this one for free. And frankly, if that's all you want, that's all I need from you, man, or girl, or whoever you are. I don't know. I can't see you, man. I'm sitting in my car. I don't know why I keep saying, man, I haven't eaten my turkey yet. Settle down. All right. I'm going to take a breath here. So if you'll want to join in on the My Other Podcast fun. Heck, I had one whole episode where I just talked about things that made me angry. It was my anger episode. I was I was in a rage, and you don't get to see that from me very often. So that's worth a dollar alone. But you're also going to get all these extra episodes each and every week. But again, if all you want is this podcast here, the Stephen or Else podcast, hey, I'm fine with that. You make me happy. And in fact, you know what? It's Thanksgiving. So let's talk about what I have to give thanks for. And there's actually quite a bit. First of all, I'm thankful that I have two jobs. A lot of people ask me all the time, how do you do it? Two jobs, man, that's got to be rough. You know what? It is rough. But I am thanking God every day that I have two jobs because you know what? You got to do what you got to do to make those ends meet. And if I got to work two jobs to get that done, then that's what I'm going to do. And of course, the goal is to eventually not have to work two jobs. That's the goal in life, right? Heck, the goal for all of us is just not to have to work at all and to be able to spend time with our families. Or if you don't have a family, spend time with something else that you love. You know, that's the goal. And until I get to that point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work those two jobs. And I'm going to be thankful that they are both out there because there are, there are a lot of people out there that don't even have one job. So to be able to say that I have two, I'm pretty thankful for that. I'm thankful for my family, my wife, my three beautiful children. I'm also thankful for my stepdaughter. Yeah, I've got a stepdaughter. She and her man friend, they're just out there doing their thing. And she's out there living her life and she's in the world and she's contributing to society. And I think that's pretty awesome. So I'm thankful for her. 
I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for my cat. They both bring me joy in my life. My kids no longer rush to the door when I come home and say, Dad, yay, Dad. But you know who does? My dog does. And you know who climbs into my lap anytime I sit down on the couch? My cat does. So they bring me joy in my life, and I thank them for that. I thank the world for comic books. Thank you, comic books. Thank you for, I am thankful for all the entertainment that we have out there that is just so easily, easy to access. Access? Oh my gosh, I need some turkey. I'm telling you, man, I can smell that pumpkin pie over there as well. Oh, you haven't lived until you've had my mama's pumpkin pie. That's all I'm saying. But I am thankful for everything, the, 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 the entertainment that we have access to out there now, you know, and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. I can go into my library and read all my, read all the comics I want to read for free. All it costs is the, the, the price of gas to get to the library. That's it. You know what? I'm probably going to be in town anyway, getting groceries. Might as well stop at the library and give me some comics. And you know what else I can get there? I can get some DVDs. I can watch my movies. I can read my comics. So I am thankful to the public library system. I have read articles where people think the li public library system is archaic. It's a dinosaur. It needs to go. Nope. No, it doesn't. You're stupid. Thank you for, thank you for calling. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, and you know what? I'm thankful for this podcast. I'm thankful for each one of you that download this podcast and listen to it each and every week. I'm thankful to the Patreons who throw a little money at me each month so to help me provide for my family. You know, that's a huge thing. That's a big thing. And you, you have a special place in my heart and you always will. I'm just thankful that I am able to sit here and be thankful for stuff. I mean... There's a lot going on in this world, man, and there is, it's not, it's not a, it's a scary world out there. And frankly, here I am working two jobs. Uh, I'm away from the house quite often, um, but I'm thankful for the life I have because, good Lord, it could be so much worse. There is so much out there that, that I don't have to deal with, and I'm thankful for that. So, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope you have many thanks to give just like I do. I hope you all are, are, are just, you know, content with where you are at life. And if you're not, I hope you're on the track to get to where you want to be because that's all we can do in life. We can just keep on keeping on and try to get where we want to be. And at the same time, just be content with where we're at. Uh, you know, they say we have the power to change our lot in life. And, and I do believe that, but, uh, sometimes we have to sit back and say, you know, where I'm at right now is pretty good. And if it's not, you just keep on keeping on because you'll get there. You just gotta, you just gotta do it. All right. So let's close the episode out. I'm not going to give a, a lot of the stuff that I normally do because it's a special episode and I don't have a lot of time to record and it's kind of a lazy week. So, you know, send me your comments and questions over at, uh, Stephen or else at gmail.com. You can comment on the episode uh, over at the website at stephenorels.com. Leave me an iTunes review. That would be awesome. Um, as I said, if you want to join the Patreon, the link will be in the show notes. Dollar a month. That's all I'm asking. And you get these, these extra episodes. Uh, the music from the episode is from Adam Warrock. You can find him at adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. The theme song for my other podcast is Worship by Trinity X. You can find it 
and more music from the band at atomiczombierecords.bandcamp.com. Man, that's it, people. That's all I got. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm getting ready to go and dig in to some turkey and some stuffing. My brother always brings this cheesy potato stuff each year. I'm going to dig into some of that. I'm going to get some mashed potatoes. I'm going to eat some pie at the end. Uh, yeah, you know what? Really, when, you come, when, it, when it comes down to it, life is good. Happy Thanksgiving. credit card bill.